0: All right, are you happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? What a wonderful report of God's work around the world, what he is doing through our teams. It's just getting better and better. It's getting more and more powerful. And not only but our not only that, but our ability to report on it through video has just expanded and And gotten better and better and better. So this is like a dream come true for us because what happens is we go overseas and we see God do such mighty and awesome stuff, but then we come back and we don't have anything to kind of bear witness to it. So to kind of take you there so you could see what God did through your prayers, through your financial giving, through your faithfulness to the house. Remember, it's a body movement. It's not just those that go, but every single one of us was involved in this. We all went and, uh, and it was very powerful to see what God did. And so very, very thankful for that. I think you know we we guesstimated about fifteen hundred hands went up to receive Christ. Honestly, I think it was more like three thousand uh, between the two days. Uh, God did a marvelous, marvelous work there, and so uh, we're very excited about it. I'm going to go right into the, the Lord. Uh, I'm going to go right into the Word of the Lord this morning um, because we don't want to keep you here all day. Um, although, when the Spirit of God is moving, I don't mind staying all day. Um, hallelujah. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians, chapter 4, beginning at verse 25. And when you get there, say amen. Ephesians 4, 25. Ephesians four twenty-five. God has a word for us this morning. When you get there, say amen. amen. All right, this is what it says. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I want to say that again, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I want to focus in on this verse of Scripture. I want to talk about grieving the Spirit versus pleasing the Spirit. Grieving the Spirit versus pleasing the Spirit. I want to talk to you this morning about level one sensitivity. The title of my message this morning is Level One Sensitivity. Let's pray. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would speak to us today by the power of your word that you'd open up our hearts and open up our ears and cause us to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. God, I thank you today that you're with us, that you're making yourself known among us, that it's not just on the other side of the world, but right here in Emeryville, California, you're working miracles, you're saving souls, you're setting captives free. And we receive you and embrace you today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I want to say also, just very quickly, we had a powerful service at the Ark last night in Berkeley, and four young people gave their lives to Jesus Christ at the service, which is powerful. They were all first-time visitors at the Ark. They were new students to UC Berkeley, and somebody invited them, and they came to the house, and they found Jesus there. Amen. Amen. And the previous Saturday, four more young people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. So we've seen eight young people give their lives to Jesus Christ in the last two Saturdays, and all eight of them are UC Berkeley students. So this is the beginning of something God is doing in Berkeley in our sister church, and I just want us to to rejoice together in what God is doing there. I also want to say that in this last trip to Indonesia... Uh, three churches were represented on the team. It was not just Living Hopers. There were nine Living Hopers, but there were two members of the Ark and two members of New Philadelphia Church in Seoul. So three churches came together to comprise this team, and there was perfect unity, and that is a work of the Spirit of God. And, And actually, unity is very important for what we're talking about today. Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I want us to talk a little bit about sensitivity this morning. You know... Are you How sensitive are you? Are you a very sensitive person? I think there's really three levels of sensitivity. You know, kind of in the natural first level sensitivity is sensitive to myself. Meaning I'm sensitive to when you hurt my feelings. I'm sensitive to when you say something that hurts me. I'm sensitive to what you say or do to me. And whenever you cross a line with me, I'm quick to let you know. Hey, buddy, you know, call, hey, hey you know you didn't have to say that 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 hurt my feelings you know when they, when you do that it makes me uncomfortable first level sensitivity is an ability to know when my own boundaries have been crossed first level sensitivity is is the ability to know when you have encroached upon my comfort zone when you have caused me to feel some kind of discomfort and and maturity and first level sensitivity is the ability to communicate it in a non-threatening way in a a way that promotes unity and in a way that promotes kind of oneness I need to tell you that you've crossed my boundaries so that you don't cross them again but I don't have to blow up on you or I don't have to lose my temper I can just say, hey, please don't do that anymore that really hurts my feelings and uh, that's okay, that's good, right? but do you know anybody who's sensitive only to themselves? I mean, I'm sensitive to me, but I'm not sensitive to you. I know when you've crossed my boundaries, but I have no idea when I've crossed yours. And I might cross people's boundaries all the time, and I have no idea. I'm shocked when somebody tells me i crossed their boundaries. Matter of fact, I'm offended when you tell me that I've crossed your boundaries because you shouldn't have any boundaries. I should be able to treat you any way I I feel like treating you and say anything I want to say to you, but you better be careful what you say to me. And so... Really immature people are very sensitive to, to themselves, but not sensitive to anybody else. I have no idea when I've crossed boundaries with you, when I've hurt you. And, and second, So second level sensitivity is when we learn how to be sensitive to what others are feeling. That is, when I'm not only sensitive to myself, but I'm sensitive to you, I can tell, ooh, I better stop what I'm saying, because I'm getting really close to crossing this person's boundary here, and I'm going to offend them in about in about eight seconds. So I'm going to back up off that and... And I'm going to change my tone of voice and I'm going to change the look on my face. In other words, I'm sensitive to where your boundaries are. And, and when I've crossed one, I feel it. And I can walk away from a conversation and go, oh, that didn't go so well. That didn't communicate what I hoped it would have communicated. So let me go back and say, hey, brother, did I hurt your feelings when I said that? Did, did I cross a, a line there? Did I, did I hurt you? oh, so I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. I, I really did not intend to hurt you. I'm sorry I said that. I'm not going to say that again. Or when somebody comes to me and says, you know, when you said that, that really hurt me. That crushed me. I said, oh, wow. I'm sorry. You know, I, I repent. I won't say that anymore. I'm going to be very careful next time. And, and, you know, all of us, we kind of long to just have the freedom to be ourselves. But sometimes in the process of being myself, I can hurt yourself. And so I need to have the freedom to be myself, but only within the parameters of of not encroaching upon yourself, If being myself harms yourself, then there's something in myself that's just not right. Yeah. And so I need to be myself, but be myself in my own time. When I'm with you, I need to be in relationship. Yeah. And so I need to learn how to be in relationship. And so that second level sensitivity is really important. But because first level sensitivity is sensitivity to myself, what I tend to find is that first level sensitivity tends to take precedence over second level sensitivity. I'm sensitive to you, but I'm more sensitive to me. I can tell when I've crossed a boundary with you, but I'm far more sensitive sensitive to when you crossed one with me. But I need both in order for us to have unity. Now, Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not grieve. What he's saying is, are you sensitive to when you have crossed a boundary with the Spirit of God? And we can see this as a third level sensitivity. Meaning, I know when you hurt me. I know when I hurt you, but do I know when I've hurt God? Am I sensitive at all to when I have grieved the spirit? Do I even know that it's possible for the Holy Spirit of God to be grieved? And, and I cannot discern where the spirit is based on first level or second level sensitivity. Meaning just because it hurt me doesn't mean it hurt the spirit. And just because it pleased me doesn't mean it pleased the Spirit. And just because it hurt you doesn't mean it hurt the Spirit. And just because it pleased you doesn't mean it pleased the Spirit. There are times when everyone in the room might be grieved, but the Holy Spirit is saying, Amen. And there might be times when everyone in the room is saying, Amen. And the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm grieved with what you just said or what you just did. And so third level sensitivity in the natural is about... Uh, uh, it's about being sensitive not only to what I feel and to what you feel, but to what the Holy Spirit is feeling. Asking myself the question, how does the Holy Spirit feel about what I just said? How does the Holy Spirit feel about what I'm doing right now? Is the Spirit pleased or is the Spirit grieved? And Most Christians live their entire lives without ever ever being, being able to answer that question. Most Christians, we live at such a state of immaturity that the only thing we're sensitive to is what I feel and what you feel. And we think as long as I am relationally sensitive to what's around me, to the people around me, and I'm, you know, trying to be one with other believers and I'm not offending them, that the Holy Spirit is pleased. Maybe, maybe not. I've been to churches where the pastor was preaching straight up heresy and everyone in the room was saying, amen, amen. One place they were jumping and shouting like it was the greatest revelation they ever heard. Everyone in the room was saying amen, but my spirit was so grieved because I knew that everything he was saying at that point, point, it was complete and utter heresy. The Holy Spirit was grieved because he was not speaking the truth. And the Holy Spirit was more grieved because everyone in the room was deceived by that nonsense. Just because everyone is jumping and shouting doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is is happy and what we find actually when we when we look at this a little closer is that the Holy Spirit can't be third that if I'm actually going to discern whether the spirit is pleased or if the spirit is grieved I actually have to make that my first level of sensitivity. I got to flip the script on it and say, before I'm sensitive to myself and before I'm sensitive to you, I got to start with sensitivity to the spirit and say, Holy Spirit, are you grieved? Actually, I have to allow sensitivity to the spirit to take precedence over sensitivity to myself and sensitivity to others. Let me explain what I'm talking about. I told you several times before that I've called my spiritual father on different occasions and said, oh, it's terrible what's going on. And I'll describe it to him and he'll say, no, son, that's good. That's a good thing. And he did it so much that I asked him about it one day. I said, why do you say everything is good that I think is bad? And there's sometimes when I call him, I say, yes, this is happening and it's good. he'll say, "There's nothing. God, God doesn't have anything to do with that. And you know what happens? Whenever he says to me, God is, that's not God. You know what I allow his perspective to do is I allow it to check my perspective. In other words, if I'm simply first self-sensitive first, then I would argue with them. But what honor does is it causes me to put his perspective above mine. So when I say, I've got a great idea. And he says, that's foolishness. I say, you know what? You're right. I don't even know why I brought that (laughs) foolishness. I don't know what I was thinking. Let me just, just forget I said that. Matter of fact, forget I even called. Let me call you back and let's start this conversation over. But I asked him about it. I said, why do you do that so much? He said, because that's what my spiritual father done with me for 15 years. He said, I remember I called my spiritual father one time. I said, people are leaving my church in droves. And he said, oh, wonderful. I said, what do you mean wonderful? He said, no, that's a good thing. I said, why is that a good thing? He said, because now you'll know who's approved. See, they went out from you because they were not of you. If they were of you, they wouldn't have went out from you. But now you see those who are not going out from you, and that means they're of you. And so you need to put your mark of approval on them because God has put his mark of approval on them. God wanted to show you who is approved. And so that's why he allowed this to happen. It's a good thing. What you need to do is go back to the folks who are still with you and say, God has approved of you, and I approve of you. And I'm so thankful that we're here together. Now we know who's with us. It's a good thing. He said, I called my spiritual father on another occasion. I said, there's all kind of division in my church. Folks are rising up against each other and fighting one another and, and and even attacking me and attacking my character and accusing me of this and that. Somebody even took brought up charges against him, formal charges against him with their denomination. And his, his, his spiritual father said, wonderful. That's a that's great. He said, why is that great? He said, because now those who are approved are going to rise up and fight. On behalf of the house, God wants to show you who he has chosen, who he has selected. And those individuals are going to rise up and fight on behalf of the house. He said, so watch carefully what happens right now. Those who rise up and fight, you put your stamp of approval on them. God wants to single them out in your eyes so that you can approve them because he's approved them. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. And he said, I realize that so much that I think is a good thing is actually not a good thing. And so much that I think is a negative thing is actually a good thing. And so I learned to listen to the voice of my spiritual father when he says, and he said, my spiritual father rebukes me with silence. I'll say, the Lord told me this. And he said, the silence will be so loud on the other side of the phone. (laughs) I'll just, I'll quickly say, no, 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 that wasn't the Lord. That was foolishness. (laughs) I don't even know why I brought that foolishness. I won't bring it anymore. I won't say that anymore. That was ridiculous. I don't even know what I was thinking. He said, you know what? I honor him so much that I allow his perspective to check mine. Let me ask you this question. Do you honor the Holy Spirit enough to allow his perspective to check yours? If he's grieved about something you're excited about, do you allow the grieving of the Spirit to check your heart so you change your perspective? And if he's pleased with something that you're lamenting about, do you honor him enough to shift to turn your mourning into dancing? And your sorrow into shouts of joy. Or do you persist in your own perspective? You see, if you persist in your own perspective and you're mourning but the Holy Spirit's rejoicing, you're rejoicing but the Holy Spirit is mourning, then you're still living with yourself as your first level of sensitivity. But when we put the Holy Spirit first... So that sensitive to, sensitivity to the spirit becomes our first level of sensitivity. Then we begin to rejoice when the spirit rejoices and we begin to, gr- to, to mourn and to grieve when the spirit mourns and is grieved. And it doesn't matter what's happening around us or what other people think. It's simply that we are sensitive to the moving of the spirit, sensitive to when he's grieved and sensitive to when he's pleased. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, Paul says. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Be careful to live lives and to walk in such a way that you do not grieve the Spirit of the living God. The night before last, the Father laid this verse on my heart during all-night prayer meeting. And I want to say that all-night prayer meeting is so powerful. If you've never had a real extended time in prayer, I'm talking about more than 15 minutes at a time. The point of extended times in prayer is to remove the boundaries around your prayer life. Really, what we're aiming at is perfection. Paul said aim for perfection and the next thing he said was pray without ceasing. Meaning that the perfection that God wants from us is the perfection of prayer. When we come to the place where we can pray without ceasing, where we no longer put a period at the end of our prayers and say amen, but the amen is simply the opening sentence to the next prayer. The point of of extended times in prayer is that it breaks us free of the constraints because most of us, we have these constraints around our prayer life that says I can pray for 15 minutes, but then I've got to say amen and go on with my life I can pray for an hour but how about coming to a place in the spirit where I never say amen and quit but my heart continues to pray even if I'm going about my daily activities my heart is constantly conversing with the Lord that's the point of extended times in prayer and in extended times in prayer we come into a place where God begins to speak and in the middle of the night, God laid this verse of scripture on my heart. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And my heart just began to cry out and say, God, if I have grieved you, Holy Spirit, if I have grieved you, forgive me. Would you wash me of that? And would you cleanse me? And would you teach me? And would you show me how not to grieve you? Would you give me clear instruction? Now, if you're anything like me, you need clear and practical instruction before you can do anything. Now, I took Finders 2.0. And my number one theme was strategic. And I thought, that's strange. I didn't think I was a very strategic person. And then I learned what it meant. Simply means without a strategy, you can't do nothing. I mean, if I don't understand exactly what I'm supposed to do, I can't do it. I need, I need very, very specific step one, step two, step three, step four. And, and so I prayed, God, I need you to give me a strategy for seeing to it that I do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And I begin to read that chapter and what you notice in Ephesians chapter 4 is that the whole chapter leads up to this one point. In the whole chapter, he's talking about the same thing. He starts off by saying, I'm urging you as a prisoner of the Lord to live lives that are worthy of the calling with which you are called. And what we find is that when he's talking about the calling with which you are called, he's not talking about the calling to be an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher. He's talking about the calling to be a member of the body of Christ. Look how he commands us to live worthy with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. And here's the key in verse three endeavoring to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He says endeavoring in the NIV. It says striving, striving to maintain the unity of doing everything in your power to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And when he's talking about the unity of the spirit, he's talking about our unity with one another striving to stay in unity with the other members of the body of Christ. And he says, if you're not in unity with the other members of the body of Christ, you have broken up the unity of the spirit. Striving to maintain, this is how you walk worthy. You make a decision. I'm going to strive to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Look at this. He goes on from there. And he says, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. One, 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 one. This is the unity of the spirit It's about our oneness, our oneness and our one common faith serving our one Lord Jesus, preaching the one gospel. And we have one calling with which we were called. There's one baptism, one God, one father of all who is in all and through all and and with us all. He says, one, that's how you maintain the unity of the Spirit. And then he goes on to say, but to each one of us, grace was given, right? And he says, he gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and some teachers. And he's talking about what we call the fivefold ministry. But then he explains why. Why did he give those gifts in the church? What? For number one, for the equipping of the saints for the works of ministry. Let me tell you something the ministry is not what I do from the pulpit, the ministry is what you do when you leave the house. The whole purpose of the fivefold ministry is to equip the saints for the works of ministry. Yeah. Ministry is what you do when you leave, it's what you do on your job, it's what you do in your family, what you do in your school, yeah. in your context, wherever you go, you're going out to do the ministry, yeah. and that's the purpose of the pulpit. This isn't even ministry, this is preparation for ministry, yeah, preparation for your ministry. Yeah. So he says, number one, for the equipping of the saints for the works of ministry. But then he says, number two, for the edification of the body of Christ. That word edify simply means to build up. For the building up of the body of Christ. Now, we got to stop there for a second. Paul calls the church the body of Christ. Why? You remember how Paul got saved? By the way, a lot of people say his name was changed from Saul to Paul. And that is wrong. The word Saul is his Hebrew name, Shaul. The word Paulos is his Greek name. All the way throughout Acts, whenever he's in the Greek world, they call him Paul. And whenever he's in Jerusalem, they call him Shaul. His name is Shaul, Saul, which is his Hebrew name. Paulos was his Greek name. His name was not changed. It was always the same. But what was he doing before he met Christ? He was killing Christians. Matter of fact, there in Acts chapter 9, it says he was... Inhaling and exhaling threats and murder against the church. Inhaling and exhaling threats, ah, murder, threats, murder, threats, murder, threats, murder. You ever known somebody that breathed threats and murder? Everything that came out of their mouth was, I'm going to cut someone. (laughs) Paul was breathing threats and murder against the church. And he was on the road to Damascus riding on a donkey inhaling and exhaling threats and murder i mean when i get to damascus i'm gonna kill me some christians i'm gonna find me a christian and choke him out i'm gonna get me a christian when i get me a christian in my hands i'm gonna put my hands around his neck and squeeze till he quits kicking i mean he he was in he was and he had a posse with him he had a he he had a gang he's a gangster On his way to Damascus to persecute the church. And the Lord appeared to him. Knocked him off of his donkey. T.D. Jakes would say, knocked him off of his beast. (laughs) God wants to knock you off your beast. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Okay. (laughs) Um, He has what we call this Christophany, This revelation of Jesus there on the road to Damascus. And what does the Lord say to him? Saul... Saul, why do you persecute me? Wait, what what do you mean, persecute you? I don't persecute you. I don't even know you. I didn't even know you existed until this moment. I'm persecuting those people that call themselves Christians. No, no, no. Saul, you can't persecute them without persecuting me. You can't touch them without touching me. They're a part of me. They're intricately connected to me. Uh, They are one with me. You can't touch them without touching me. This is about you and me, Paul. When you touch them, when you touch one of my people, you have to deal with me. It's about you and me. He learned at that moment that he could not touch one of God's people without touching God. That if he were to harm one of the members of the church of Jesus Christ, he harmed Jesus. And from that fundamental revelation, Paul reflected on it for the rest of his life. And all of his theology came out of it. And he concluded, you are the body of Christ. Because if I touch you, I touch Christ. And when we talk, when he talks about us being members of the body of Christ, members of one another, he's not talking about an organizational membership. Everybody in this room has probably about five or six different memberships in different things. I'm a member of the credit union. I'm a member of Gold's Gym. I'm a member of Costco. I'm a member of Chi Alpha Sigma Chi Delta. <laughs> right? I'm a member of. Of, I got a Safeway club card, <laughs> right? I'm a member of this, I'm a member of that. And we get, and you know, we get and we change memberships all the time. We just, we think it's sign up and I'm a member of such and such a church. And just like you change your membership from this gym to that gym, you change your membership from this church to that church. And just like you, you know, you, you cancel this membership after a while because you don't use it, you cancel this membership after a while. That's the way American Christians act. When we don't realize that when Paul says we are members of one another, he means that we are living tissue. We're joined together the way living tissue in a human body is joined together. Now, when you think of the members of your body, whenever Paul uses that word members, he's talking about body parts. These are your members, your legs, your arms, your feet. When Paul says in another place, do not submit your members as instruments of unrighteousness. But, but submit your members to God as instruments of righteousness. He's talking about the members of your body. And when Jesus gives the bread and the wine and says, do this in remembrance of me, it's not just about memory, it's about remembrance, putting the members of the body of Christ back together again. Because when we're walking in disunity, it's like chopping up the body of Christ and removing its members. And so Jesus says, remember me, put my members back together again. And Paul says, if you are going to make a decision not to grieve the spirit, then you're going to make a decision not to walk in disunity. I had a friend who was a doctor and he was a foot specialist and a guy came in one day, obviously worked in a factory and had on a pair of boots. And the guy said, well, look, I work 14 hour days. I come home, plop down on the couch, go to sleep. I wake up and go back to work. I haven't taken off my boots in about two weeks. However, there's been excruciating pain in my right foot for the last two weeks. He says, well, did you look at it? He says, no, I haven't looked at it. So my friend said, I took the guy's boot off and I took the sock off and I looked at the bottom of his foot and it was swollen. It was humongous. And he said, I knew there was something in there, so I had to cut in there and fish around, and what I found was a piece of glass that had embedded itself inside his foot. But now the infection was so severe that gangrene had set in. He said, so I I cut out everything I could cut out, but then I went and I got the guy an antibiotic, and I said, listen, you got to take this twice a day, every day, or you're going to lose your foot. And he said, okay, I got it. He said, no, no, no. I want you to look me in the eye and tell me You're going to take this twice a day, every day, right? You're going to do it. Yeah, I got it. I got it. No, 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 no. I'm serious here. You cannot play around with this. You will lose that foot. He says, I got it. I got it. He said about three weeks later, he came around the corner and he saw that guy on a bed in the hospital with a bandage over the nub on his leg because his foot had just been amputated. And he said, I grieved because this guy lost a member of his body over a little piece of glass. Just a little offense. Just a little offense that just when you stepped on it, if you would have just reached down and taken it out, no problem, put a little mercuricone on it. Y'all know what macuricone is? Uh, no. My grandmother used to have mercuricone. She didn't have no neosporin, no rubbing alcohol, or uh, peroxide. She had some mercuricone. Anyway, that's that's from the south. That's from the dirty, dirty. Just put a little... Put a little something on it, a little antiseptic or something. Just it's a little irritation, but you lost a member of the body. And he said, I grieved when I saw that this man had lost a member of his body over a little piece of glass. You know what happens when people leave the church because of offense? We need to see it the same way. Somebody got offended and left the church. You know what happened? Some little offense, some little piece of glass. It festered and it got infected. And now we've lost a member of the body. We need to see it like losing a foot, like losing a hand. We've lost living tissue because somebody was hurt, somebody was offended. If we're going to strive to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, we got to make a decision to deal with the broken glass in our members. We've got to make a decision that if, if I've hurt you, I need to be sensitive to the Spirit. And I'm sens- when I'm sensitive to the Spirit, the Spirit is grieved because I'm walking in disunity with you. The Spirit is grieved because I'm not one with you. The Spirit is grieved because I've allowed myself to be cut off from you. The Spirit is grieved because He came around the the table and saw the body of Christ on a bed with a bandage over a nub and the foot had been cut off. A member of the body of Christ had been cut off because of some little irritation. It grieves the Spirit of God. It grieves the spirit of God. And so he goes on to say, he, he's giving us very practical information here. He goes on to say in verse 17 and following, it says, don't walk anymore the way the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thinking. Their foolish hearts are darkened. They're alienated from the life of God because of the deception that's in them. Due to the hardening of their hearts. They've lost all sensitivity. Do you hear that? They've lost all sensitivity. Sensitivity to what? First, sensitivity to the Spirit. Secondly, sensitivity to others. And thirdly, sensitivity to themselves. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to all kinds of stuff with a continual lust for more. He says, but you haven't learned Christ this way. He says, so I urge you to put off the old man which is growing corrupt with its passions and desires and put on the new man, which was created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old man. You know, I heard about a, an older woman who, who just got saved and she came to church and, and the pastor read from the Bible, put off the old man and put on the new man. And she said, hallelujah. I'm gonna go home and put out that old man. I'm bringing in the new man, the old man. He's grown corrupt for too long. I got to put out this old man and I got to bring in the new man. Woo. He's created to be like God, <laughs> in true righteousness and holiness. When Paul says, put off the old man that grows corrupt with its passions and desires, meaning when you came to Christ and invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you became a new creation. All things passed away. All things became new. You crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You were crucified with Christ. You you no longer live, but now Christ lives in you. But Paul says, I got to die daily because that flesh man wants to come back every day. I got to die daily because that flesh in me wants to rise up every day and bring back the old passions and desires. So I got to put it to death every day. But let me tell you why this is important. We have individuated holiness. We think I need to be holy. Why? So that I can have a personal walk with Jesus Christ so that me and Jesus can live together and walk together. And it's deeper than that. I got to put off the old man and put on the new man in order to walk in relationship with you. John said it in John chapter one. He said, this is the message that we heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You hear that? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Because when you fall into some foolishness and some do- some darkness, what's the first thing you do? I don't think I'm going to go to church this Sunday. When you see another brother or sister in Christ call, you see their name, I ain't answering that call. Ignore. Why? Because you stepped into darkness, and when the fellowship of the light is offered to you, the darkness doesn't want anything to do with the light. And so I've got to walk in holiness so that we can walk in fellowship i got to think, I can't walk in these ways because it's going to cut me off from the fellowship of the brethren. Walk in the light as He is in the light so that we can have fellowship with one another. What we're reaching for is the fellowship of the burning hearts and the fellowship of the burning heart is when we walk together on the road and Jesus walks with us and our hearts burn within us as he opens the scriptures to us. But it only happens as we make a decision to put off the old man, put on the new man and that new man is created to be like God, that new man can hear from God and that new man receives from God. And so Paul contextualizes all of these ethical exhortations that he gives. he contextualizes them with unity. So he says in verse 25, therefore putting away lying, let each of you speak truth to his neighbor. Why? For we are members of one another. Don't lie. Why? Because God hates lying. Well, yeah, but there's something deeper there. We're members of one another. And if I lie, I'm, cu- I'm cutting you off from me. We're members of one another. So we can't lie to each other anymore. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath or give place to the devil. Why? Because if I give the, the devil a place, then you don't have a place anymore. I'm giving the depth when I allow myself to be angry and sin, I'm cutting you off and the devil comes and fills the space that you're supposed to fill in my life. So don't give place to the devil. And then he goes on to say, uh, let him who steals, let him who stole, steal no longer. Stop stealing. Why? But rather, let him labor, working with his hands what is good, so that he may have something to give him who has need. In other words, if I'm stealing, then I'm not working anything good with my hands, and I have nothing to share with him who has need. The whole point is that I should be using my hands to create fellowship between me and other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. That's really what it's all about. And then he goes on to say, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. He says, if I'm speaking corruptly, I'm not, I'm not building you up. And I'm not imparting grace to you. How can I facilitate the fellowship of the burning heart when everything that comes out of my mouth separates us instead of unifying us? It doesn't impart grace to you. It imparts something else to you. It cuts you off. It doesn't build you up, but it tears you down. And then he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. All of these things grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but not just because God doesn't like things that are bad, but because God rejoices when we are one. We're building the fellowship of the burning heart. We've been talking about this. The fellowship of the burning heart. The fellowship of the burning heart happens when you and I walk in the light as he is in the light. And when we begin to receive from God and every time we come together, we should be sharing out of the reservoir of what we've received from God. When we talk to other brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be sharing out of the reservoir of what we've received from God. But let me ask you this question today. When was the last time you had something from God to share with another brother or sister? When was the last time in your interactions that you were able to say this morning I was in prayer and this is what God gave me last night? I was meditating on this verse of scripture and this is what God gave me. I was walking with God yesterday and this is what I saw him do. This is what I heard him say. That's what it's about. It's not simply about walking with God so I can get my own tank filled. It's about having something to share with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And when I focus on receiving from the spirit of God so that I can give it to you, as Paul said, that which we receive from God, we deliver to you. If that is my focus, then I don't have time to allow Satan to disconnect us from one another. And the spirit is not grieved. How good, how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the anointing upon the head, upon the head of Aaron, running down his beard and onto his clothes. The anointing of the Holy Spirit comes to bring unity and the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes in response to unity. When we make a decision, we're going to walk in unity. When we make a decision, we're going to honor the heart cry of Jesus Christ when he cried out, Father, my prayer is that they may be one as we are one. That they might be one as we are one. God, that is my desire. Jesus cried that out and when we get a hold of that cry and say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to carry that cry in me as you carried it in you. Make us one as you are one. I am going to pursue the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The Holy Spirit is pleased and when the Holy Spirit is pleased he begins to move among us when the Holy Spirit is pleased he begins to bestow his blessings upon us when the Holy Spirit is pleased but what happens is our bitterness and our, our, our selfish ambition and all of these things our unforgiveness they get in the way of the flow of the spirit they stop the flow of the spirit among us why because the Holy Spirit will not move in a place that is disconnected disorderly and disunified Amen. remember when I was a youth pastor and uh, I had a ghetto youth group in East Oakland. I had an East Oakland ghetto youth group. And uh, the big thing was clicking. Clicking is so demonic. It's us three, us four, and no more. And you can't get in here because you're not as important as us. And the youth group was broken into about four clicks. And no matter what I did, I couldn't break up those cliques. I mean, it was like they would come to youth group and they would break into their four little groups. And they wouldn't even talk to each other outside of those little cliques. So demonic. Now, I remember one night we, I took up to a, a revival down in Fresno. We were staying on a Bible college campus there. And about 10 p.m. the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to go outside and march around this campus seven times didn't make any sense. It still doesn't make much sense. But I said, okay, let's do it. I went out there and I marched around the campus seven times. And the only prayer that the Lord would put in my heart was, Lord, fall on them. Lord, fall on them. Lord, fall on them. took me till 3 o'clock in the morning to finish. But at 3 a.m., I had such a sense of peace in my spirit. God has heard. He's going to do it. The next night at the revival, my whole youth group was sitting at the back of the church and I was sitting in the row behind them, the very back row of the church. And I saw the Holy Spirit fall on them one by one. I mean, they were sitting in the two rows in front of me. And one by one, the Holy Spirit fell on the first one. And she was the most ghetto one. If you looked up ghetto in the dictionary, you'd see a picture of her. She got up and she ran to the front, fell on her face, and just began to weep. Then the Holy Spirit fell on the second one. And here's what was funny was the second one the Holy Spirit fell on was not in her click. And she ran to the front and fell on, on her knees and began to hug the first one. And they hugged each other and began to weep. And then one by one, bam, 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 they broke one by one. And before I knew it, my whole youth group was at the altar embracing one another, weeping together and praying for one another. And then one by one, the baptism of the Holy Spirit fell. bam, bam. Bam! This one got tongues. Bam! The next one got tongues! Bam! The next one got tongues! Bam! The next one got tongues. Bam! And it all happened as they prayed for one another. Do you know our youth group was never the same again after that. The first thing that happened when the Holy Spirit came was unity. The first thing that happened when the Holy... And you know the first thing that happens when the Holy Spirit comes? Is that one person that you don't like, that you don't want to talk to? That you avoid? You see them sitting on this side and you sit on this side? You see them sitting at the front and you sit at the back? You know that one person you know what I'm talking about? That one person is the first person that the Holy Spirit is going to have you go hug and pray for. Do you really want the Holy Spirit to fall? Do you really want revival to come? Because it means he's going to break through our cliques. It means he's going to cut. And I'm talking about generational cliques as well. When this is the 25 and younger crowd. And this is the 35 and older crowd. And this is the middle aged crowd. The Holy Spirit comes to break all of that mess up. You know what happened at Azusa Street in 1906 when the Holy Spirit fell in Southern California? You know what happened? The first thing that happened was the color line was washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that was the report. If you were to go to an Azusa Street meeting, it was the only multi-ethnic meeting in the United States at that time. And it was in California. I'm talking about white people and black people and Hispanic people and all kinds of people from all kinds of nations and all kinds of ethnicities and all kinds of generations coming together and praying for one another. And there was absolutely no distinction. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes away the line of separation. The line of separation between man and woman takes it away. And even raises up women to places of authority and power and puts prophetic words in their mouths. And we say, wait a minute, isn't that just supposed to be men? And the Holy Spirit says, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. The Holy Spirit comes to wash away. And so the question is, are we ready to embrace the move of the Spirit of God? It starts with us embracing the call to unity, the call to be one, the call to be the body of Christ. And that's why Paul says, strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Walk a walk that is worthy of the calling which you have received. And the calling that we have received is the call to be the body of Christ, the call to be one, the call to be unified, the call to be joined to one another, the way we're joined to Christ, the way Christ is joined to God, the way God is joined to the Spirit, the way the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit or one. That's the way we should be one. We should be one in heart and mind. We should be one in purpose. We should be one in understanding and in teaching one in worship and one in fellowship. And when we begin to experience that kind of oneness, then we know what, what we mean by the fellowship of the burning heart. Our hearts should burn together when we come together. Our hearts should burn, but you know what interrupts the fellowship of the burning heart is disunity and and when there's bitterness between us or hurt between us or anger between us, it interrupts the fellowship of the burning heart because we used to fellowship together and our hearts used to burn, but now there's something between us and so our hearts don't burn together and that's what the devil wants. That's what the devil wants. You know what we can do? We can step right over that. Because... It looks like a big thing, but typically it's just a little piece of glass. Seems like a big deal. There's a huge problem between us. No, it's it's not. It's just a little piece of glass. We're not going to wait for gangrene to set in. We're just going to say, are we good? Are we good? Last Sunday, I had somebody come to me. It's funny, the Lord had laid him on my heart that morning. I tried to call him. And find his number. I thought after church, I'm going to go find this guy. The Lord laid him on my heart. He and his family had left the church about, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago. And they left angry and hurt. And we never talked about it. But the Lord laid him on my heart that morning. I thought, I need to go see this guy. I need to go find him. I need to just call him. I need to just talk to him. And lo and behold, he showed up at church last Sunday. He and his wife. Man, when I walked in, I just went right to him, just hugged him. Just hugged him. And he said, if I've done anything to offend you, I'm sorry. If I've done anything to offend you, if I've done anything wrong, I know the way we left wasn't right, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He said, I just had to come back to make it right with you. And I said, you know, the Lord laid the same thing on my heart this morning. I need to just find you and put my arms around you and hug you and tell you I love you. And he wept, his wife wept. We embraced one another. He said, I just had to get it right. He said, is there anything between us? I said, if there was, it's under the blood of Jesus Christ now. And honestly, at that moment, I said, I don't even remember. I don't even remember. The blood of Jesus Christ washes it all away. And that's why John said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all sin. I'm telling you that the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough even to kill the infection that's set in. The blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough. And I know each and every one of us in this room, maybe you can think of a relationship that's gotten infected. Maybe there was some little piece of glass that got infected. There's some little piece of glass that got infected. Don't ignore it anymore. Make a decision. Number one, I'm going to get that piece of glass removed. You know how you get that piece of glass removed? Just go to that person. Say, can we talk? Can we be good? I want us to be good. I don't want there to be anything between me and you. I can't let it fester. I want us to get back to that fellowship of the burning heart. What God intends for us is that our hearts would burn as we walk together on the road with Jesus so that he can open up the scriptures to us. That's what God desires for us. And I can't let anything get in between that. And right now, I'm just asking the blood of Jesus Christ to just wash away whatever's between us. To remove that glass and kill the infection. The Holy Spirit is pleased when we walk in unity. And the primary tactic of the Spirit is to divide brother from brother, sister from sister, brother from sister, parent from child. Satan wants to divide us so that he can conquer us. But if we stand and we make a decision, we're going to be one. You know, Paul said in the second letter of Corinthians, in the first letter of Corinthians, he wrote about a brother in the church that had been in deep and gross sin. He was sleeping with his step... He was having sex with his stepmother, with his father's wife. That's pretty filthy. And he was boasting about it. He was bragging about it. Paul said, put him out of the church. Put him out. Kick him out. Throw him out. He wrote again in second Corinthians. He said, you did what I told you. You put that brother out of the church... Now he's broken and repentant, receiving back and forgive him. And then Paul said this, and whatever you forgive in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive so that Satan might not outwit us because we're not unaware of his devices. You know what Paul is saying there? Satan outwits us with unforgiveness. If we allow unforgiveness to persist in our hearts, Satan has outsmarted us. He's outwit us. He's thinking at a higher level than we're thinking. He he laughs. I got him. I don't care. I could be praying six hours a day, but harboring unforgiveness in my heart and Satan's going, I got him. I I could be serving 15 ministries in the church. I could even give my body to be burned. I could speak with the tongues of men and of angels. But have not love. And I've become a, a... Clashing gong, a resounding cymbal. I could I could have the gift of prophecy and understand all wisdom and all knowledge, but have not love and I'm nothing. I can surrender my goods to feed the poor and surrender my body to be burned and have not love and it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not rude. It's not proud. It doesn't rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always bears always perseveres always protects always endures love never fails the anointing of love that's the anointing that God is coming to bring us this morning the anointing of love that's what pleases the spirit of the living God where we receive love in place of offense where we bear with one another we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the Christ the the, the love of Christ That anointing of the Holy Spirit that makes us one. That's what he's come to offer us this morning. But it starts with our decision. My first level sensitivity is going to be sensitivity to the Spirit, not to myself. My first level sensitivity is going to be sensitive to the Spirit because the Holy Spirit might want me to reconcile with somebody that I don't want to reconcile with. And if my first level of sensitivity is sensitivity, sensitivity to myself, I ain't talking to you. I just ain't doing it. But if my first level of sensitivity is sensitivity to the spirit, I don't care what I want. I'm going to do what God wants. And I'm, and I'm going to want what God wants. And I'm going to like what he likes. And I'm going to rejoice over what he rejoices in. And I'm going to grieve over what grieves him. Bow your heads with me this morning. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I speak your blessing over this house. And I thank you that your anointing of the Holy Spirit is here. Lord, we've seen it move among us so powerfully, even in the miracles and the signs and wonders we saw in this service today. So many have said, how come we don't see miracles in America? Well, we saw miracles in America today in this house. And so that means you're here and you move among us when you're pleased. Lord, today you're calling us to a higher level of your pleasure. And that higher level of your pleasure comes as we make a decision to strive to maintain the unity of the spirit. Father, right now I pray that you would come to us to extract the broken glass from our foot. Wherever there's been offense, I pray you remove it in the name of Jesus and replace it with unity. Replace it with oneness. Wash away. I pray that by the blood of Jesus Christ, you'd remove the infection. I pray that by the blood of Jesus Christ, you'd heal us of the infection. You'd take it out. Lord, maybe for some of us, gangrene has set in and we're about to lose a member of the body. But God, I pray right now that you'd heal it. In the name of Jesus, that you'd heal it, that you'd heal it. Lord, we cannot lose a member of the body. Every member of the body is too important. Every member of the body is too important for us to lose even one. We can't lose the hands and feet, the fingers and the toes. We can't lose the the, the vital organs of the body. Teach us to be the body of Christ. Teach us to be the body of Christ. Lord, we're not a club. We're not a social club where where membership is just about putting our names on a list. We are a living body. A living organism. We are the body of Christ. God, give us a revelation of that today. We are members of one another. We are one as you are one. God, remove every power of division from us right now, in the name of Jesus, I just release forgiveness over the house. I just release it. Supernatural forgiveness. Supernatural forgiveness. I say that there's reconciliation in the house. There's reconciliation in the house right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Supernatural reconciliation. Supernatural oneness. Supernatural oneness. Supernatural oneness. God, remove it right now. Come on, just begin to pray. God is removing, God is removing anything that would separate us, anything that would harm us, anything that needs to be forgiven, I declare forgiveness right now in Jesus' name. Wash it away, wash it away, wash it away. Remove the infection, remove the infection. Lord Jesus, we embrace your cry in ourselves that we might be one, even as you are one. That we might be one, even as you are one. That we might be one. one even as you are one, that we might be one, even as you are one. Lord, put that cry in us. Put that cry in our hearts. 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 Put it in us by the spirit of the Lord, because our unity is not procured by human effort. It only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the unity of the spirit. Lord, we can't make ourselves one, but you can make us one. We can't unify ourselves, but you can unify us. We cannot come together in our own power, but you can bring us together. We can't even forgive in our own power, but you can give us the power to forgive. And so God, right now, release an anointing of forgiveness over this house in Jesus' name. An anointing of unity. An anointing of restoration. An anointing that brings us back together again. I pray you do it right now. In Jesus' mighty name. I thank you for it. I thank you for it. I give you the glory for it. While we're here in this place, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I have to ask this one question. Because at the end of the day, this is not primarily even about us reconciling with one another. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to reconcile us to him. You know, when we're living in sin, we've cut ourselves off relationally from God. When we're living in disobedience to God, we've cut ourselves off relationally from God. And God wants us to get right, but he doesn't, he doesn't expect us to get right by our own power. And so what he did was he took his, he took his son Jesus and sent him to the cross and said, Son, you're going to bear the penalty for their sin. He did it because he wanted to reconcile with you and me because he wanted to be one with us. This morning, maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here today and you've never invited him to come into your heart. Maybe you're here today, you never surrendered your life to him. Don't you want to reconcile with God? Don't you want to be in unity with him? That basic unity that says, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, come into my mind. Make me one with you. You're here today, you say, I want to start that relationship I want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to know him. I want to start today. If that's you, lift your hand. Nobody's looking around. Every every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody's looking around. I just want you to lift your hand right where you are. Say, I'm ready. I see that hand right there. Hallelujah. I see that hand. Thank you, Father. That is so powerful. Anybody else? Just lift your hand. Nobody's looking around. It's not to embarrass you. Nobody's looking around. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Sir, I just want you to look at me for a second. You that lifted your hand. Nobody else is looking at me. Just you and me. I just want to talk to you for a second. Powerful decision you just made right now. The enemy would try to convince you that it's just an emotional moment. It's not. God is calling you to himself today. Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. He died on the cross to save you. And today you've heard that call. That he's calling you to be his. I see a powerful ministry in you. I see a powerful man of God in you. I see that God even set you apart. Even when you were a little boy, you knew that he put a call on his life, on your life. You knew that there was a purpose of your life. Even when you were a little boy, you felt different among your friends because you knew that God had separated you for a purpose. But now is the first day. Now that purpose is about to come into being. And I just want to pray for you this morning that God would strengthen you, that God would encourage you, that God would pull you in, that God would break everything off of your life. And God is blessing your family. He's blessing your family, your home. From this day forward, I remember when my father gave his life to Jesus Christ. He came home angry and and upset every night. But after that day, when he gave his life to Jesus, he came home singing and rejoicing. He would sit at the table and open his hymn book and sing worship songs. The whole household changed. Because the father of the house received Jesus. And the decision you just made is not for you. It's for your whole family. Your whole family is about to change now. Your Your whole home is about to change now. And so... I want everybody, everybody's head bowed, eyes closed. I want everybody to just repeat this prayer after me. And sir, I'm going to pray this with you. I want you to pray it with me and everybody. We're all going to pray it together. Everybody say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for calling me. Jesus, I'm yours. I'm yours. Reconcile me to your father. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose again from the dead. I believe that you're calling me today. I'm answering your call. I receive your grace. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your power. Teach me how to walk with you every day. Teach me how to love you more. And I give you all the glory. In your name I pray. Amen. Give God a shout of praise. Everybody stand up. Now listen, we're going to close this service, but some of us got work to do, don't we? I said some of us got work to do, don't we? Some of us got phone calls to make. Some of us got people to go see. Some Some of us got folks to talk to. Just go take that glass out. Just take it out. Let the Holy Spirit cleanse that infection and wash it away. And restore that. That relationship. And you watch as our oneness just goes to another level. You know what we're doing? We're facilitating the fellowship of the burning heart. Lord, make us one and let our hearts burn together. Just lift your hands to the Lord right now. Father, in Jesus' name. I release grace and power over this house. In the name of Jesus. Every form of reconciliation. Every form of forgiveness. Every form of peace. In Jesus mighty name. Lord give us understanding. Give us patience. And a commitment to one another. We'd walk together for life. I don't care how long it takes. That we'd stop treating each other like projects. Start treating each other like brothers and sisters. I just release that grace over the house. And I bless you with the blessings of the Lord today. I bless you with the blessing of heaven and the blessing of earth. I bless you with provision. I bless you with grace, with strength. With love. The love that never fails. That level one sensitivity to the spirit of the living God. And in the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Give God a shout of praise. God bless you. We're dismissed.